Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Life in Overdrive. This is episode 3 with Yaniv Fatucci, and I've gotta say, I have an insane amount of respect for this guy. Alongside Kevin Pereira, he is one of the founders of the production company Super Creative, and he's currently one of the guys in charge of The Attack, and one of the people responsible for some of my favorite content that's being produced today. Before that, he was a producer on Attack of the Show on the G4 television network, and that show had a huge importance in my childhood, and because of that, Yaniv has had a large influence on my childhood, to the point that, as you'll hear in the interview, I was actually kind of nervous about interviewing him. Before I get to that, though, I want to touch on a couple of other things. First of all, Seth Weitzel, the lead singer of Hip Shooters, the band that performs the theme for Life in Overdrive. His girlfriend was hit by a drunk driver this weekend and killed in an accident, and I know there's nothing that I can do to make him feel better. I know that I can't even understand the pain that he's going through right now, but he has always been good and kind to me, and I just wanted to take some kind of time to tell him that if he hears this, I'm thinking of him, and I hope that he comes out the other side of this okay. Also, I'm sorry this episode came out a little bit late. I try to record these intros the day before or the day of the episode's release just so that the things that I'm saying in the intro or the conclusion are pertinent to whenever it's released. The problem with that is on days that you're not feeling well and you aren't up to actually recording the intro, then it winds up not happening on time. So again, I'm sorry about that. I will try to avoid that happening in the future. And now let's get to my interview with Yaniv Fatucci from Super Creative and The Attack. crazy right now to be honest with you i just walked into like a 20 by 20 office uh with like five people just crammed together setting up different cameras and mics um we're just like a a can of of worms in there but uh, it's cool (laughs) we're we're getting busy we're trying to ramp up on some new shows um and then obviously prepare for tomorrow's attack Oh, so are people running around trying to like set up for Pointless later tonight, or what's going on We there? do have a Pointless, actually, in a few hours with Anna Akana, and that's going to be at 5 o'clock. But no, that's a quick setup. Mostly it's just um, a couple of the, these new projects that we're doing that we're splitting up from the attack and Super Creative, and it's just a nutty time. It's fun, though. Definitely not complaining. <laughs> yeah, I can sympathize with that. I've got like 5,000 things going on over here, too. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And are you a list guy? Do you make a list of, of what you got to do? Oh, yes. Um, I seldom ever will hit those things in the order that I put them on the list, but there is a list. I'm constantly like reprioritizing that list and having trouble, you know, kind of delegating sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's good. It's good to have a list. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, things get really hard to track for me otherwise because, like, I'm I'm a freelance writer, so I have... Oh, I have to have this cracked article in. The, see, 
the the time that Cracked gives you to work on an article is two weeks. So it's very easy to put that on the back burner and then totally forget about it. Sure. And uh, IGN is similar. It's usually like two and a half to three weeks before the deadline. So, I mean, it's really easy to have three Cracked articles that all have different deadlines and three IGN articles that all have different deadlines. And then there's no way to keep track of that in your head. You're going to miss something. You just got to go one by one. Yeah. My buddy tells me he's like, just pick the top five or the top 10 things on your list and just knock those out first you know and it's like easier said than done but oh it's way easier said than done but it's probably the best way to do it i don't know if i ever do it that way i don't know if my brain is set up to do it that way but it's a nice goal i know i'm terrible i have to have like 20 tabs open i'm constantly thinking about three different projects (laughs) at the same time (laughs) but um I don't know. There's got to be like a, an app for that. Like, I need something to like clean my brain up a little bit and like organize it, <laughs> streamline the process. So uh, full disclaimer here, um, you're, you're actually the uh, proud holder of the title of the only podcast guest I've actually been nervous to talk to. <laughs> what? No. Yeah, what? I know, right? That's, so, that's incredibly ironic though, because I'm that? the least of serious people, literally, in the world. No, um, seriously, because uh, you had a lot to do with Attack of the Show back in the day, and that show was a really serious part of my life while it was going on, so... Nice. Yeah, I'm a little little nervous to talk to you because of that, but we'll get through it. It'll be fine. No, that, I mean, especially with that show, you know that that was such a fanfare for people... Right, yeah. ...that worked on it. it there shouldn't be any... Uh any nervousness at all but um but i appreciate that thank you if you don't mind i'd actually like to talk about attack of the show a little bit yeah of course let's dive in i guess the the first question would be how does somebody get involved in that in the first place like what was that series of events like for you that led you doing that yeah it was interesting because um i actually started working on the polar opposite of the spectrum it was uh, e entertainment and it was in the same building so when comcast brought in g4g four moved into the same building and and uh and a lot of the producers from e a lot of the guys at least because there's a lot of girls working at e so a lot of the guys kind of like got uh, poached by g4 producers and that's how i got my start at g4 is I, I i just happened to be in the same building as e and then and then we moved over when there was a few specials going on and ironically it was the adult entertainment expo in vegas i think january <laughs> 2007 and that was the first special i got hired on as an associate producer to to just do some segments about vibrators and stuff, you know, the usual. Yeah, you know, we all know how it is. Was it a situation where, like, uh, you were in the same building working for E, and you just, like, see this crazy explosion that is G4 going on in your periphery, and you're like, man, I, I want to be over there doing that? Yeah, I heard rumblings of them moving in months before they did, and so I was already, I, they were already on my radar. I was really excited about meeting people that were, uh, that were moving from from San Francisco, some of them from the Culver City office, and so I was I was stoked for it just when I heard about it, and then when it actually happened, when it became real, and you saw the departments kind of get split up, and the entire fourth floor was taken over by a G four. That's when it really felt real, and you started shaking hands, dropping off resumes. I actually. What did I do? I ended up taking a, a, a few of the clips that I'd produced and putting them on a DVD and like dropping them on the executive producer's <laughs> desk and then just nagging and nagging and nagging until I got an interview. Uh, even the interview was was I don't know. Everybody at G Four was so friendly and so and so um, passionate about the content they were making. 
that it made it really easy. If you're the same type of person and, you know, you like what you're writing about, then you end up connecting with those people. I think that's what happened organically at G4 is everybody was super like-minded. Yeah, and that was definitely something that you could sense just watching it. A lot of shows, it's impossible to tell this, but whenever you watched almost anything that was on G4, you could tell that the people that were making it were having a blast while they were doing it. Yeah. And it just made it so much easier to connect with. That's that's a great point, yeah. I feel like that totally goes through the lenses when when you're enjoying it. If you have a if you have a smile on your face as you're writing something, somehow I feel like that actually gets conveyed to the reader. I don't know. That's a that's a existential mm-hmm. theory of mine. Well, I mean, just from my perspective as a writer, anything that I've been working on that I really cared about and was super interested in, I would always, even if this wasn't a totally conscious thing, I felt like I would always wind up putting a little extra time and a little extra effort into making that thing that I cared about super awesome. And if it's something that you're making that, like, oh, I just have to get this article in so that I can get a hundred bucks and pay my rent next week, like... That thing, you just kind of churn it out, and you're like, okay, glad that's done. Let's do the next thing now. Totally. If you care about it, all of a sudden the idea of a deadline goes out the window, and you're just focused on doing it. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, definitely. And it's super hard to find work like that sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's way more work in this world that is uh, endure this unpleasant task, receive paycheck afterwards. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's something that reminds me of um, right when G4 kind of closed its doors and everybody went their ways. There was, uh, it's it's shaked its way uh, to the better now, but in that first transitional period of people leaving G4, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. there was a phase of, it was almost like a rude awakening of like, oh my God, we're not going to get a chance to work with really amazing people and really amazing stuff anymore. Like that was, that was just lightning in a bottle. How's it going to, how are we going to find that again? And uh, I, a lot of people found it right away and a lot of people, you know, it took longer. Um, so I just, I savor that. I, I see that we kind of have that here at the attack and I kind of hold it. I cherish oh no uh with with the attack i stumbled across what you guys were doing like two months ago probably i don't know how, however long i've been subscribed to you guys on twitch because i found it and i was like yep supporting this thank you for that yeah not a problem but uh whenever i stumbled across that it was so reminiscent of the attack of the show like and i i get that there's a lot of major differences don't get me wrong but it seemed like it captured that same spirit and there's not there's no one else out there that's doing anything like that right now so it was it was almost like i had my old friend back again that's so great to hear uh yeah exactly what we felt when we did it you know when we started doing it we didn't really think about it it was just naturally what we were going to talk about that day anyway let's just flip Mm -hmm. a camera on and record it you know and and go live because there's a sense of um of vulnerability when you're live you know you're not really caring too much you're you're allowing yourself to even fail publicly if you are going to fail and it happens especially when you're trying something out for the first time so it you know it was is similar in the fact that we were going to cover the same type of topics and have the same type of jokes and 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 look at the world in the same perspective but at the end of the day we were seated in a small you know at a desk in a small room we weren't standing in a nice big studio with lights and and a, and a full crew so it, it it's humbling to be able to convey the same content at the end of the day with a lot less resources well and i think that it's really cool that just the way that technology is going you don't have to be part of a big studio to produce content like that anymore definitely 
True. Yes. Anybody, anybody with a camera and a computer that's capable of streaming can go out there and produce content now. So it's not like you guys have to go and pitch your idea to a studio to get it out there to people. And that's really neat. And I, it just makes me really optimistic about the way the future of entertainment's going. Yeah. The more and more people, the more and more that people speak the the language that our fans love to speak. I think that's uh, the better content we'll we'll get that. That way it's because at the end of the day i mean kevin really knows how to speak the language and that's that's you know that's the messaging that we carry in the attack that stuck through from aots so had we not had kevin you know keeping that language alive i think that we would just be a, a few other schmoes you know talking about stuff on twitch um something that i was wondering actually because uh anytime i've heard kevin talk about this on other podcasts or anything like that he always said that uh super creative was a thing that he still had going back in his later years at attack of the show and that uh whenever he decided to leave he kind of just went over and devoted a lot of his time and energy to super creative but i don't think i've ever heard what led to super creative starting in the first place right um yeah i think it was the last two years or so that he was um you know from 2010 to 2012 kevin and i started super creative as a as a production company to support some of the branded content opportunities that we had at that time one of them was uh to do a pilot for Pioneer and to pitch it up to G4 actually as a, as a music show. It's called The Playlist. It was a DJ competition show. So we shot the pilot as a branded episode for Pioneer DJ, put it up online and, and that was one of the first projects. Beyond that, we we would work a lot on just development, you know, writing ideas for shows and trying to sell them up um, across all the, the contacts that we had at the time. Because we were in a, we were in a good position to just have almost an open door policy with a lot of the local networks and producers we were already working with, so it was a, it was a great opportunity, and we got to come up with tons of ideas. I'm talking about like dozens and dozens of pitches over the course of that year or two, and so yeah, we, a lot of time and a lot of energy was spent, um, sometimes part time when when we were at G4, and then eventually full time when uh, at around 2012 when we moved on from G4. So that was. Uh, um, it was a lot of fun, but it was also incredibly humbling because you you're you you face real life real quick when you're when you're going out there and, and you're pitching nonstop. But we had a, a lot of support. <laughs> oh man, I know that feeling so much. I I don't know how much you know about uh, the kind of writing that I do for sites like uh, IGN and Cracked. Yeah, so I've, I've seen a few articles on Cracked, but not IGN. And I know you do a lot of comedy, so I'm actually wondering what what is it that you do creatively outside of, the, of writing those articles? Uh, outside of that, uh, I, I've been putting a lot of time and energy into my stand-up lately because, I, I don't know, there's just something about getting up in front of people and performing the comedy and stuff that I write that's more appealing to me than the written word. Don't get me wrong, like, I, I like the stuff that I do at Cracked and IGN. I just don't see it as what I want to end up doing for the rest of my life. It's a great stepping stone, and it's great for exposure and stuff like that. Sure. But I really don't love sitting down and cranking out those articles on a regular basis. It, it is fun, but it gets really draining after a while. Right. And there's not, it's, there's sometimes nothing as fulfilling as the immediate laugh or the immediate rea- reaction from someone um, when mm-hmm. you're on stage. So I totally understand that. It's fun. Right. Definitely. Uh, apart from that, I've been, I've been putting a lot of effort into starting up this podcast also because podcasts have always been kind of like a secret addiction of mine. I mean, ever since I started listening to Mark Maron's podcast about four years ago. Hell yeah. 
uh, that was that was what really got me into listening to podcasts in the first place. And I mean, I always liked them, and I always, in the back of my mind, entertained the notion of starting one. But I never really got around to it until I started listening to Kevin's podcast. And I don't know how familiar you are with every single episode of his podcast. Which but, one? Um, do you do you remember the short little six to eight minute New York City rambling things he posted? Yes, uh, the the ramblings. Yeah, the one on creative paralysis was the thing that finally kicked my ass in gear and made me go, you know what, I'm going to go out and start this thing. I love that. I think that was his first one, right? It was either the first or the second of the three. I can't remember. I've done three of them. So good. Uh, yeah, No Such Authority, a couple others, Creative Paralysis and Emotional Armor. Yeah, I, I love when he did those. Oh my god, I was a big fan too. I was affected by it too. Yeah, I mean, it... They were so insightful, too. Like, I can't believe people haven't had those observations before because they're so obvious when you sit down and think about it. But at the same time, I've never heard anybody say that before. And it was kind of just what I needed to hear at the time to get me to stop being lazy and go out and do what I wanted to do. I love hearing that. Yeah, Kevin is definitely in tune with uh, a sort of sense of self-awareness that I think a lot of people don't have. So he's just, you know, he, he will go in and out of these, you know, phases and slumps just like anybody else would, but he's super conscious of it and he's able to, you know, express it, verbalize it really well. Mm -hmm. So um, something that I've been wondering for a while, what sort, and if you can't talk about this, that's fine, I understand, but I was wondering what sort of shows you have been working on that you want to have on the network, but maybe don't have like the manpower to get together yet or anything like that? On Twitch specifically? Yes. Yeah, there's one I could totally talk about. I don't think it'd be giving it away too much, although it probably is, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll go on a limb here. I mean, if if you feel like you've given away too much, I can always edit it out after the fact, and you can just tell me to sate my curiosity. Either way is fine. Sure, let's try it out. I feel, well, I'm a big fan of music, right? So I I love especially live music, and Mm -hmm. uh, to me on Twitch, that's definitely uh, something that's coming about is they've already announced a comedy and music version and and launched some of it in different ways by doing like premiere parties and um, 24-hour mixes and things like that. But I think maybe the next ev- evolution of a music show on Twitch would be an interactive music show that incorporates the chat room a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm thinking comedy music and, and specifically it would be an idea and a format, something along the lines of whose band is it anyway? So it'd be like, <laughs> who's, whose line is it anyway? But with a band, everybody is uh, playing instruments. A lot of comedians already know how to play instruments. A lot of, uh, a lot of musicians are already really funny. So you have a, a mixed bag. Um, of those type of personalities and they're in the room and, and they're playing different improv games that are initiated by the chat room. Meaning that the chat room, and there probably would be a host slash moderator, but the idea would be for the chat to, de- to decide on the accent of the lead character and the prop that they have to use and the setting that they're in and they have to pretend these things and then, you know, come up with a challenge such as, you know, let's, let's do a 20-second jingle for this product or a 30-second intro for this fake sitcom. And then on the spot, creating live improv hilarity would be fun. <laughs> it's it's so funny that music is the way that you want to go because um, I, I've just kind of sat down in my spare time and been thinking about things that I wanted to see on your network. And one of the things that keeps coming up in conversations that Kevin has, I don't know how aware of it he is or not that he talks about this so much. Every now and then he'll say something to the effect of, I love what I'm doing, but if I could trade all of it and be a rock star, I would. 
<laughs> I've heard him say that at least three or four times. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't though, right? That, right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a superhuman sentiment that everybody kind of has. Everybody oh, wants I, to I travel. I definitely agree. Uh, uh, the, the funny thing about that statement from Kevin is that he's super. He absolutely could be a rock star because he's an amazing drummer. Like he, oh, he's such a great drummer. Uh, he could probably be, you know, in a, I don't know. I think I feel like he easily had that opportunity, and but he has. He's more passionate about people and loves mm-hmm. to talk to people and and get stories out of people and tell his own stories and that kind of took over the the mm-hmm. the, the the interest of being a rock star that's yeah. my opinion that's my two cents on 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 that statement from kevin because kevin is a rock star like he, he easily <laughs> could go around well, I mean, playing um, drums professionally i'm talking to you as someone who has played drums in a touring rock band for three years there you go so you know uh, i know how to play the instrument i know how to tell if somebody's good at it or not and when i watch kevin play drums there are times when i'm like i don't even know what the fuck he just did but that sounded really good He's insane because he's jazz, uh, classic trained, and then he went into, I think, a heavy metal band in high school, did some... So he's been on both sides of the spectrum and just knows. He, he knows. He, and he plays... He You know, he practices a lot with... Um, with like new music so he's playing along to new tracks where there's new rhythms and he's constantly mm-hmm. changing it up so he knows what he's doing it's funny i think he's just a little you know humble and <laughs> and uh modest about his talents as a drummer oh yeah he's always like oh i yeah I, I hit i hit the drums sometimes i'm not that great at it and i, I look at him and i'm just like you're, you're not that great at it i've been doing it forever and i can't do that well, when we moved into this studio with Greg Grumberg, there's a band room with a full drum kit, and he saw that, his eyes lit up, and yeah, okay, we're, we're moving in. I think we're moving in, guys. There's a drum kit here. Let's go. I, I've made my decision. Where do I sign? Like, he was he was stoked when he saw that, and, and then every once in a while, we'll, we'll come out of a show, and be like, where did Kev go? And then all of a sudden, you hear, bang, 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 bang. He's just going off in the room. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, your uh, your idea that you were talking about is really similar to what I was thinking, because after hearing Kevin say that, I was like, you know, it would be really awesome, and I don't know if you guys would in any way have the time to do this, but I know that not just Kevin plays instruments. I think I heard once that, like, Alex plays guitar or something like that, but I can't be sure. I don't know, I don't know if he does, actually, but <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's were... a character he's working on. <laughs> Well, what I think would be really cool is if, like, if you had the time, maybe practice for a couple hours a week or something like that, and a couple people around the studio could get a set together and maybe play for half an hour after the attack on Friday or something like that. 100%. Oh, my God. I always thought that would be really cool. Oh, yeah. A, a performance will be incorporated into the Attack proper show very soon. We we just installed cameras um, in the band room. Uh, I believe three cameras are in there. and they're ju- But they're just like drop cams, you know. They're not... They're, but they are hardwired. Mm-hmm. And now we just need to, we need to afford a... Uh, I think it's like a thousand bucks for this um, graphics card that will allow SD. And then we'll be able to plug in those hardwired cameras from the band room. Uh, so, yeah, within a few weeks, that should that should happen. That sounds pretty cool. I'm excited for that. So tell me a little bit about the transition, because you were you were talking about how in the early days of Super Creative, you were coming up with ideas and constantly pitching them to different studios and stuff like that. What When was the point where you guys decided to shift from doing that to creating your own content in the virtual space with the internet? It was after a lot of no's, to be completely frank with you. <laughs> we pitched a lot of shows. We we sold one pretty early one to Sci-Fi called Viral Video Showdown. It went for one season. Mm-hmm. And then we sold a few other uh, digital 
formats, um, and that did better for us. So we ended up just the the ideas that we had just started suiting the digital format a little more, a little bit short form, a little bit more open in comedy. Um, you know, you don't have as many rules in, in digital, obviously. So with with TV, you often, at least in the reality space, the unscripted world, you're gonna have mm-hmm. to come in with, um, you know partner up with another production company that's got a few reality credits under their belt or a showrunner that that ran Jersey Shore or whatever so we we failed a lot in the reality space and then we said um well let's do what we love for the for the audience that we know and they are all online you know they were all on across different format different platforms and although as a, as a production company you know super creative we didn't really go full force on our on our YouTube uh, and in hindsight, that might have been something that that could have helped us greatly. But we were we were pretty low key on the on the YouTube presence, um, just focusing on writing and producing premium content, which doesn't really live on YouTube. So our stuff ended up being on Nerdist.com, um, and then and then Machinima, and going going after those type of uh, platforms kind of fit us better. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process was just a lot of hit and miss, and then eventually we made enough to say that we can start turning out our own content our own ideas and and do it for ourselves rather than than another company so you know partnerships are great but there's nothing there's nothing better than coming into your own space doing what you want and then then you know and seeing that pay off yeah not not having to listen to someone who's telling you what kind of content to produce yeah we love strategic partnerships don't don't get me wrong we we did a lot of really cool partnerships um where we got to do some really funny shows like line by line was one of my favorites we did two seasons of that for all deaf digital and it was breaking down hip hop lyrics. To me, that that's still a really fun format. And um, you know, we did that for Russell Simmons' comedy YouTube channel. So it's it's cool to collaborate, absolutely. But there's something special about having a team in house that's turning out daily or weekly content just for the hell of it, and then <laughs> seeing you know seeing like minded fans love it. So yeah, I mean, I I've always felt like uh, the the key to having a sense of fulfillment with your work is uh, getting paid to do something you probably probably would have done anyways yeah exactly absolutely yeah that's that's the secret recipe for sure and it's uh it's not always easy whenever you have someone over your head calling the shots to produce that sort of thing yeah it should be second nature you should be doing stuff that you would do anyway i like i like that perspective absolutely there's something um also the the quality of work ends up being much better i think if you're just not thinking about it if you're in this sort of uh, you know they call it flow state mm-hmm. when you're it's almost working out of subconsciousness is the that's the ingredient i think yeah i mean i I kind of assume this is true for all people, but I can only speak for myself. But I've noticed that when I'm doing work that doesn't feel like work, that's always when I've done my best work. Yeah, absolutely. You, you ever like just, you know, maybe when you're playing a game and you and you zone out and you're just like headshot after headshot and then you realize... <laughs> oh, all the time, yeah. You forgot that, you, that you'd actually been playing for the last 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that haze is probably like your best performance. <laughs> What what you just said reminds me, um, back when Guitar Hero was a really big thing, I played a lot of that, and uh, there there were times when I would just be sitting there playing Guitar Hero, and I would zone out, and then come back to, like, 10 seconds later, and be like, holy crap, how did I not miss a note right there? I wasn't even paying attention. That's incredible. Music especially, you, you can, you know, hand-eye coordination and those types of sort of habitual patterns that you could work through. I think mm-hmm. that's, yeah, especially that kind of performance. 
it's crazy how similar to actual or actually creating music stuff like Guitar Hero and Rock Band really is. And I mean, it's it's different in that it's way easier and it's not as complex, but I feel like a lot of the same fundamental mechanics are there. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it maybe even more so than playing a real instrument, it's it's totally possible to zone out while you're playing those games and just like not mess up anything. They're super addictive for that reason too. Oh yeah, definitely. So what kind of games do you usually play? I'm an old school N64 type, which, which is really funny. But, um, you know, I actually just just blew the dust off of my N64 and I played a little bit of uh, Mario Kart, uh, GoldenEye, Smash Brothers. Oh, man, you're speaking my language because I grew up on all of those games. Yeah, I'm still trying to get Alex in for like a, a GoldenEye because I feel like that's the one game that I can maybe crush him at. Because <laughs> I, me- I memorized all the different, like, kill points. So after you die, I know exactly where you are when you're going to pop up next in that level. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for that. That's right. You could do that with that game. I'm used to, I'm used to first-person shooters nowadays uh, spawning you away from the enemies. Like, they have, built in, they have built-in algorithms to figure out what spawn points are the farthest away from the people that are trying to shoot you so that that shit doesn't happen. Oh, that's smart. Has a defense. Well, I usually play golden gun mode, so just or license to kill. I mean, so like one shot, and you're dead, and that just move, that makes the the game move a lot faster. So you're just like, you you cap him, and then you go straight to that other room that you know he's gonna pop at, and then you're gonna pop him again. <laughs> <laughs> just the idea of you doing this to Alex, and the the face that I'm picturing on Alex's face while it's happening. This is priceless. Um, <laughs> did uh, how did uh, they how did the podcast with Alex go? Um, it was a really weird sensation, actually, because, um... Sensation? Sensation, yeah. Because you feel some type of way. (laughs) It's just, he's got this magnetism. I don't know what to do when he's around. Um, (laughs) but no, um, I mean, I I write for Cracked and IGN. I'm used to writing comedy. I do stand-up. I'm used to being the funniest guy in the room, in a lot of rooms that I walk into. And when I sat down and talked to Alex, I've never had this feeling before, but I'm just like, I am so outclassed in terms of humor right now. And I've never, I've never felt that way before. It was so weird, but he was great. He was so hilarious. Super quick for a 20-year-old. Oh my God. And I, I don't know if it's because I don't have a lot of experience doing improv stuff like a lot of the comedy that i do is written down and edited and stuff beforehand you're writing a three thousand word article for cracked you have hours to go back over it after you're done and revise it and iron out the kinks you write stand up beforehand and you kind of know what you're going to say when you get up on stage even if it doesn't quite go the same way every time and every time you get up on stage you tweak it a little bit and make it better and better with improv, you just have to come up with something off the top of your head, and I don't have a lot of experience doing that. So I feel like he's probably a little quicker than me in that department just because he does it more than me. But he's also incredibly talented. I don't I don't want to take away from that. Like, the guy is super good at what he does. Yeah, I mean, I he know, did stand-up for a while, too, before he went full-time here. 
He was uh, he was doing a lot of stand up. I remember when he was an intern on at Super Creative. Yeah, it's just like I I don't think I've ever had a conversation with someone who was like that quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's uh, he's great. I, there's a there's another guy, Jordan Morris, that we always bring up. Jordan Morris from Nerdist, and uh, I'm sorry from from At Midnight. He's one of the writers for At Midnight. He's so funny and quick, and he's one of those guys that when he comes in, he he like gives Alex a run for his money for sure. There's a lot of these guys, that, and they're usually writers, you know, or, or improv comedians. Yeah, I was uh, I was joking around with some of my friends afterwards, and I was basically like, yeah, for that episode, Alex was hosting my podcast, and I was the guest. <laughs> yeah, he does that. He just comes up with his shows and flips the script. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So actually, what you just reminded me, while I was talking to Alex, he was talking about uh, the bits that they have you do on the attack sometimes, like the really crazy stuff, painting with the paintbrush attached to your dick, and uh, the MC chicken thing, which was hysterical. This um, is really highbrow stuff that we've been putting out. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Alex was saying how uh, every time they come to you and ask you to do one of these things, you're kind of like, uh, I'd, I'd rather not. Can someone else do it? And they're like... It's always the last resort. <laughs> Completely. And they're like, no, no, because because you're going to be so weird and aloof while you're doing it. That's why this joke isn't going to work, and it's not going to work if it's Alex. I mean, I get that. I just think that there are really talented comedic actors, <laughs> and I'm not one of them. I'm not even close to it. I'm a, I'm a pretty poor excuse for for um, for a character on the show, but I, I, I roll with it because, I mean, A, we don't really have that many options right now. We can't afford to bring on actors. Uh, and B, I, you know, it's it's just taking one for the team uh, because a lot of it is, is definitely, like, at my expense, which I totally... <laughs> I, I embrace at this point. I think it's I think it's fantastic, and at least people get it too. I I hope I get the sense that people don't really think that I am this guy. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. At the end of the day, we're just joking around in the office. I, I know that there's a camera on, and that there's like fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred viewers on Twitch sometimes, but it doesn't feel that way. You know, at the end of the day, we're just in our room joking around. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so cool about the attack, and I, I mentioned this briefly to Alex also, it very much feels like you're not sitting down and watching a show, and instead it feels like you're just hanging out with a couple of your really close friends on Skype for an hour or two. Right. That's so special. I Yeah, I feel that's the beauty of, of Twitch's platform. That That is what we don't have on TV right now, is that co-viewing, interactive chat room environment of of not being like you know sitting close up to your to your keyboard but really almost like a a sit back experience uh hanging out with your friends and that's incredibly unique and i'm really happy that we get to be a part of that and i mean it it lets you connect with the content in a way that regular programming doesn't like uh the best example i can give you is uh what i went through when i found you guys where like I stumbled across uh, The Attack and The Pointless Podcast. Uh, I think it, it was pointless first because I had started listening to the Joe Rogan experience, and then I heard an episode that Kevin was on, and I was like, oh, Kevin, that's the guy from Attack of the Show. I remember him. What the fuck has he been up to? So I looked him up, and I found Pointless and started listening to that, and I really liked it, and then I found The Attack and started watching that. But um, whenever it was Attack of the Show... I didn't really have any personal investment in Kevin himself, per se. 
It was just, I really cared about the content that you guys were producing, and it was really awesome. Whenever I stumbled across Pointless and The Attack, I started to, like, legitimately care about Kevin as a person and his well-being. Because he's so transparent and, and, and sort of uh, open, it's hard not to... I mean, he's very likable, let's just say that. He's very likable. <laughs> and, 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 and as a host, as a personality who's delivering information... He's very, um, it's very palatable. It's very easy to listen to him, you know, and, and especially the way that, he, that he's able to convey interviews, I think, kills it on that. I'm pretty sure it's nearly impossible to go out there and find, like, regular television programming where you wind up having that sort of emotional investment in the people that are in the programming. Like, you can't really find that anywhere else. No. The only other person that comes to mind, and, and you mentioned him earlier, is Mark Marin who's able to just have a natural... I mean, he just had Obama on, right? I think mm-hmm. Mark, Mark Marin just had Obama on his podcast. Which is fucking crazy for podcasting, by the way. Exactly. And, and the fact that, A, you know, the Obama administration <laughs> recognizes the WTF podcast as, some, as, as, a, as, a, as a concrete piece of, uh, of media <laughs> is amazing. And B, just that um, Mark as a personality is so easy to talk to that yet also be very poignant and Mm -hmm. and have important topics covered in a a really, really, really conscious way. That Mm -hmm. that episode was one of my favorite episodes ever. Yeah, I I listened to it too. It was pretty... I couldn't believe how just level-headed he was the whole time. Like, I would be a nervous wreck if the President of the United States was sitting across the table from me talking to me. Like, I don't know how you can function in that situation. And he was just himself, like he always is. That's literally his job, is to be 110% him. And it's hard, but he's, uh, he's a pro at it. And Obama, though, is an interesting one, because he also came off as a really personable likable guy as he is or as he seems to be so i think i think in that interview the two of their personalities meshed really well together mm-hmm. yeah definitely did you uh because i know mark was on an episode of point list so did you wind up meeting him yes i did and oh my god i have an embarrassing story i don't know if i should tell it though oh well you can't say that and not tell it come on <laughs> he came by the office and i was like I wasn't familiar. I wasn't familiar with his story. I just knew that he had an amazing podcast. I listened to to like maybe one or two episodes before I'd met him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got in, I said, hey, Mark, nice to meet you. Would you like any coffee, uh, water, maybe, maybe some, uh, something, you know, some alcohol, some drugs, like whatever you need, let me know. <laughs> and he's a recovering addict and um, he's completely sober, I believe, like 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so I literally offered him, uh, jokingly, of course, I said, would you like any booze or drugs? Because we have it all here. We got coffee, water, whatever you'd like. <laughs> and uh, and Kevin was like, dude, not a good call, bro. It's like, not. If I recall correctly, he's a recovered cocaine addict. Well, there you go. And it's been 20 years at least, right? And so that was an inappropriate thing for me to say. <laughs> but I mean, you you had no way of knowing that at the time, let's be honest. I didn't know. But I should ju- I should stop assuming that people are 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 hip with that. That's that's true. I mean, it's just not fair. But that I did meet him. He was incredible incredibly incredibly nice guy, and that episode with Kevin and him is also solid. I love that episode. Um it's it was a while, but I forget they they 
they went back and forth on like some really funny stories, but I, I'm having a hard time recalling. <laughs> um, I think I think my favorite episode of Pointless personally is the one where he talks about uh, his trip to uh, I think it was Peru where he went to do the ayahuasca, and uh, Jeff Kanata was the guest host and was interviewing him. When he well, he came back specifically to have Jeff almost interview him for the aftermath, the, the sort of post-ayahuasca experience that he wanted to share with everybody. Yeah, I, I remember listening to that podcast, and I don't recall having been emotionally moved by a podcast like that before. And, like, even even Jeff was almost brought to tears by some of the shit that Kevin was saying. Yeah, I love that episode. I remember that whole... Uh, th- that wasn't just an episode to me. As Kevin's friend, that was, like, uh, an experience of its, of its own because we watched... What, what happened was um, he had another guest on... Um, a CNN reporter named, oh my God, I'm blanking. Was it Lisa? Was it Lisa? Uh, I'm blanking. But it was, uh, oh, Amber Lyon. Oh, oh yeah, I know who that is. She she has her own podcast. Amber Lyon, yeah, she's great. She was on the podcast um, and she had brought up ayahuasca to Kevin and then, and then he researched it from there. Well, I mean, he really dug in during that episode actually and kind of like got out, out of her what, what the whole thing was about. And then he went to ayahuasca or to Peru to do it, based off of that inspiring story that she shared with him. So it's kind of like this this uh, this narrative through the podcast. You could you could you can actually like you know see Kevin's experience through that, from him what's, meeting Amber and then coming back and telling it through Jeff. What's really funny is you can trace that back one step further. There's an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience where she goes on and Joe Rogan tells her about ayahuasca, and that's where she learns about oh, it. Oh, that's right. And I think ironically, she took she she took his advice, and like he had never done it before. He had just been talking to her about it. Um, yeah, that exactly. So that's that's full circle right there. It's crazy how you can like follow a story like that across multiple podcasts and multiple episodes. Well, who knows how many listeners based off of that last one that Kevin uh, that last episode with Kevin and Jeff maybe they some listeners went off and did their own experience with ayahuasca and then came back to tell their own so I think it's an incredible connection that we can have through podcasts obviously just talking about myself specifically here again um, after listening to that podcast I fully intend to go and do that someday like that's something I'm going to do whenever I can swing that and get away and go to Peru for that amount of time without it killing me financially. But I listened to a lot of Kevin's reasons for wanting to do it in the first place, and I was like, I have a lot of these same problems, and this is probably something that would also help me. Yeah, it sounds incredible, and I also am very curious and interested in it as as just someone that's generally interested in those types of experiences but um i also really think and i've talked to kevin about this it really depends on who what and where you know where as in like where in their lives you kind of need to be i think in a good state oh yeah definitely uh, i don't know i don't know if you've uh, done any psychedelic drugs before or not but uh from personal experience if you're not in a good state of mind at the time it's a very bad idea exactly yeah and i and so i i grouped that along with the other hallucinogens as, as you really need to be in the right environment. And that's why Peru sounds like an incredible opportunity because they have the, you know, the whole ritual and the shamans are there and they're, and they're doing it. And I know it's almost become this, you know, like this fad of a, of a tourist attraction, but I know 
at least the the village that he that he spoke about. Um, I think it was, I'm blanking on the name of that one as well, but um, incredible, incredible location where a lot of people, you know, they, they take a lot of care. It's not like a two day trip; like you're really committing yourself to, I believe, five days and mm-hmm. going through the motions. There are some shamans locally in LA that do it as well, but to me, that's not the same experience. And you really gotta kind of gotta be out in nature where that plant is grown. Oh, I definitely agree with you. I I wouldn't do it in any other setting. I don't think. And a, a part of that comes from, you know, uh, wanting to be in that environment. A part of it also comes from the knowledge that having done a couple different psychedelic drugs in my life, you kind of need, if you're doing something that you've never done before, you have no idea how it's going to affect you, and you have no way to anticipate it because you've never had that experience before. So if you don't have someone around who's been through it and knows how to handle you if things go badly, it's not a good situation to do it in. I've only had really good experiences with mushrooms um, and LSD, and that's, I think, specifically because I was with good people. I was with my mm-hmm. good friends, and we were in a very peaceful time of our lives, and, and it ended up being a, an incredible experience. But I have heard stories and seen it happen myself where people are not in that state. The only, the only time I have ever had a negative experience while on a psychedelic drug It was when I had taken it at a time that I wasn't in a good emotional state and I wasn't around people that I was necessarily as comfortable around as I should have been. So, I mean, I feel like as long as you take care to do it in the right environment, it's not an issue, but you have to be capable of judging what the right environment is. Yeah, it's an emotional experience is the problem. Maybe that's not a problem. That's a good thing. That's that's the point of it. Um, but it's incredibly emotional. <laughs> there's no there's no way around that. You're going to be confronted by something, you know, whether it's a demon that comes out or some epiphany you have or you get inspired. All those things are emotional. Mm-hmm. Although if if you do it in the right environment and you set it up in such a way that you're prepared to have the best experience you possibly can, it can be really constructive and enlightening and it can teach you things that you wouldn't have done or learned otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing what I, what I will say in general is that, you know, depending on where you grow up, but specific, I think in America you we we lack a little bit of emotional intelligence. So there's there are schools overseas that actually teach these things and have emotional intelligence classes where you go through the motions and you speak out loud from an early age about about your experiences and you know this could be like a spectrum of things but um when when a lot of a lot of emotional topics are not covered in your in your early sort of development i feel like you stash them away they get pent up and then you may experience you know like a negative side effect from that um, and then I think psychedelics have a good job of like taking, you know, um, kind of peeling out the the layers and and um, and bring them bringing them about so you can confront them even in a, at a, as an adult. Mm-hmm. And you know that can happen through a lot of different ways. You can go traveling and have incredible conversations, um, or you can also eat a mushroom cap and and <laughs> have a similar effect. <laughs> I also feel like a lot of people don't understand, and this is largely in part because a lot of people don't do it, but a lot of people don't understand that hallucinogens are a completely different thing from recreational drugs. 
it's not the kind of drug that you're going to get addicted to and go home and do every single night until it ruins your life. Typically not. And it's not a party drug. So that's the, that's the key difference. Like, if I wanted to abuse something like mushrooms or LSD, I don't even think that I could. Because, like, once I've done it, it's like, okay, I'm good for a while now. I need to process this shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now you're gonna, you need to go and, and conquer, you know, to, you know, take the inspiration and, and the valuable thoughts that you, that you had in that experience and move on. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing there, I, you know... I'm a fan of all that stuff. I also like to party, but I don't think there's anything more interesting than just, you know, a sober life. Like, like really, really kind of a cherishing, like, your sober moments. The, the, those highs are, I think, you know, as someone who likes to party, that those are way more valuable. Those, those the sober comfort, the knowing who you are and, um, and being confident in it and, and, and going after what you need mm-hmm. to do to be fulfilled in life. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I've I've done an assortment of drugs. I've smoked pot. I've done ecstasy. I've done a couple of different hallucinogens. And all of those things feel really good in the time. Some of the hallucinogens, not so much, but that's a different story. Um, but a lot of those things feel really great at the time, and they're really fun. But, like, the first time I saw my name on the front page of Cracked, and there were two million views on something that I wrote... I have never reproduced that feeling with any drug. Nothing has ever felt like that. And I was totally sober when it happened. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was what I was trying to say. That those moments of success and just self-fulfillment or even gratitude, all those moments that you feel, those those are the real highs that we that we should be going after in life. And, um, you realize things like that, or at least I did in my, in my, um, hallucinogens experience. So you try to carry that, not let it go. And there's no reason to, to, um, to, to double up or like, or like to even overdo anything like that, because that, those are, I think, sacred for a reason. Right. I, I don't want to say that coming from the standpoint of, well, I don't think that you should ever do drugs because you should always be pursuing this sort of high that you can get while you're sober. I just feel like if you're if you're going to do those kinds of recreational drugs, that it should just be a thing that you do every now and then that's a fun time, but it's not something that, like, that's the enjoyment that you're getting out of life because that's a horrible downward spiral that you don't want to go into. No, if you ask the average person who's used mushrooms or LSD, the actual trip itself, sure, it's interesting and it's enlightening. I wouldn't say that it's like it's like a like a fun ride necessarily. Even as a oh, good, yeah. even a good trip is not necessarily like a. I mean, I don't know. I kind of uh, I danced the line a little bit. I think that, I think that there could definitely be a fun experience, you know. But um, for the most part, it's it's not that kind of drug. It's it's. The hallucinogens are really there to um, to rev- to kind of pull back the curtain of your own brain mm-hmm. and um, you know discover things about yourself that you might not know. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, the the ones that people do for fun. I was talking more about like marijuana and ecstasy and stuff like that. I mean, sure, that stuff's good for a good time as long as you realize that oh, it's just something fun to do for tonight and that there's more enjoyment that you can get out of life than from just doing those things. Everybody is so different, by the way. We can't ignore the fact that there's such a crazy grid 
of personalities that are affected affected by different things in different ways, and we're, right. it's never going to be that black and white with us. You know, I right. could I could say to some person that that um, that smoking weed is completely harmless, um, and I do for the most part <laughs> believe that. And then there's other people that that I would not say that to because it's not true to them. There are people that are incredibly affected by by marijuana and we become incredibly paranoid when they smoke it and, and cannot experience the same pleasures as others when they do it. So I think that right. there's just different folk, different strokes, different folks. That's what it is with, with us as humans. Um, and there's never going to be a blanket statement for on this particular topic for people, which is a good thing because if we, if, if everybody, you know, had the same experience, it would be pretty boring. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we have different experiences as people is a large part of where most of our entertainment comes from. Like, we're, we're talking on a podcast right now. If everybody in the world had our experience, who would want to fucking listen to this? They'd already have lived it. Yeah, it's absolutely interesting uh, to get a, a peep into other people's lives through conversation, and that's definitely... Uh, um, this form is definitely one of those ways of doing that. And it's interesting. I am really, really lucky and really, really optimistic about where things are going in terms of entertainment, to be honest. And I know that, that a lot of people are pessimistic and they look at it as, as uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in a world where there's almost too much going on, too much information, too much media, too much entertainment. But um, I could see people that are really good at what they're doing having an opportunity to streamline what they're right where where they otherwise may have never gotten their stuff out there there's people in the middle of nowhere that can that have a voice now right it just it makes me really excited because i feel like we're on the cusp of people being willing to pay the ones that are creating the content for creating the content without the middleman and that's going to be huge Mm -hmm. absolutely i just came back from a talk with the founder of Vimeo about their new paid subscription services. Uh, not subscription, but paid. They just have a paid model where you can uh, you know, sell your short film or any content, really. You can put a price on it on Vimeo now, and that's opened up a whole world because it's not advertised. So you're not, it's not like on YouTube where you're making money off of advertisements. Mm. You're just putting um, a cost on your piece of content. And that's it. And I believe it's like an 80-20 split with Vimeo. It's something really, really impressive. Vimeo only takes 20%. or It's 90-10, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah, Vimeo just did that. And so... Wow. I didn't know it was that good. Yeah, it's an incredible split. Um, and it's because they're encouraging the, the real artists, the real, the real people that have um, messages to, to send out. That's who they're targeting. And that's actually that's the difference between... That, that's what Vimeo is almost always try to be was you know you you have a lot of filmmakers that put up their short films on there or sometimes their full features make it it was more of the artist's corner whereas like youtube was where you see cat videos and lasers so i think that's a really cool shift in media online is seeing more um, direct to consumer products like this paid vimeo product and i don't think a lot of people realize this yet and I hope that they do soon, but w- whenever it becomes that, where you just create content content that you're making sure is premium, awesome content, and you don't have to worry about getting advertisers for it because your audience is paying you directly to produce that content, it makes a ton of problems go away. On the viewer's end, they don't have to sit through annoying advertisements anymore because they're paying for the content directly. 
um, because the viewers are paying the content producers, the content producers don't have to answer to anybody. They don't have anyone over their heads that's saying, no, you have to do it this way because this is the direction the studio wants to go in. And all of that is going to lead to just more better content being produced and that makes me really excited yeah it empowers the creators absolutely so you see people that can literally maybe even deficit finance a project that they know they can convince a hundred of their friends to spend a dollar on so you know that you can spend you can make a thousand dollar video and make that money back because you're confident enough in a hundred of your friends spending a dollar So that, you know, it's a reverse Kickstarter effect. I think it's brilliant. I I can see this happening across a lot of different platforms, but Vimeo makes a lot of sense, at least to start with. Mm -hmm. You know, I I love obviously what Twitch is doing on the live side of things in terms of revenue. Um, And I think YouTube gaming is going to be just right up, you know, it's just player two in the the game. And then we'll see, we'll see who takes over. But it's a really fun landscape to be a part of right now. What do you see as the ultimate end goal of Super Creative? Do you, do you foresee having 24 hours of shows streaming live on Twitch? Do you think that Twitch is going to be the final home for what you're producing? Or do you want to, like, what what way do you want to go? Um, the, it's a loaded question because so Super Creative is going to continue to be the production company uh, mm-hmm. support for attack-related content, as well as TV shows, animated series, branded content, and other things that we're constantly pitching and creating and delivering on with partners. And so the trajectory that I see for Super Creative is, you know, fingers crossed, a couple more TV shows, a couple more opportunities to make really, really cool content on a, on a premium level, both digital and traditional, meaning like mm-hmm. TV and web. But then what we're doing actually is we're founding a new brand called Attack Media. And Attack Media will be the brand that really is all digital, all things online and live. And that'll be our brand for for continuing the the attack um and for create for creating other live shows, uh whether it be for Twitch or elsewhere. But so we're actually gonna be splitting up the company in that way. Um and what that will do is it'll it'll allow us to really work with two different teams on two different products because at the end of the day we want to do the the type of content that we want to do but we we need to separate the audiences a little bit so attack media is the audience that we know and love and then super creative may be targeting a little bit more of a older traditional sit down on the couch watching tv with the family type of audience and and Mm -hmm. so that's where i see us going is is kind of uh becoming a little bit more organized and covering the lay of the land in that regard. No, that totally makes sense because I feel like as great as the attack is, there's a certain tone and atmosphere to it that are going to alienate a certain type of viewer. Yeah, it's scrappy. It's rough around the edges, and and we love that. Right. I mean, it's it's definitely one of the things that I love about it, but I can also see where someone else could be turned off by it. Exactly. My mom and dad are not going to be watching The Attack. Right, exactly. I would love to make a TV show um, that I think my mom and dad would love to watch and, and, and put it on, on traditional TV networks. So that's where Super Creative is going to be producing that type of content, and Attack Media will be continuing the, the you know, the antics. <laughs> <laughs> the, the shooting babies out of an air cannon and for the for the sake of a prize i feel bad for alex's spine already <laughs> um alex is a tough tough kid 
I, I talked to Alex about this a little bit too, but I thought it was particularly funny that like you guys set some of the more painful things to launch out of the air cannon at the okay, if we get this amount of money, we'll do it, but we're probably never going to reach this level, and that's why we put it this high, so we never reach this. And then it happens. Right. You made you made the mistake of challenging the internet and telling them they couldn't do something, basically. And that's never wise. Yeah, we did not see that happening. Every time, <laughs> that is always so genuine, by the way. We always put the dangle the carrot so far ahead of us that we don't we don't expect it to happen and so it, it's cool and it does I, what was crazy about that air cannon episode was we shot i think at the very end we had um phil kevin and alex all lined up the three of them and kevin was in the middle and we were gonna fire what what did we fire at the very oh we fired paintballs we find real paintballs at the very end out of air cannon but then last second we're like ah let's let's rotate it and let's switch alex in the middle yeah alex should be in the middle yeah yeah and then Alex gets pelted by the by the air cannon by like twenty paintballs to his back. He was like the only one that got hit. Too. The only one, and the other two, Phil and Kevin, were just on either side of him, and they didn't even get scathed. And so, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty great. I wonder, did Kevin kind of like breathe a sigh of relief afterwards? Like, holy shit, that was almost me. Oh my god, when we saw his back, we just realized like that could have been yours. That is amazing. That is like. <laughs> the spirit of attack right there alex always loses that's just a rule now the rule is alex always loses or gets hurt one of the two that's fair (laughs) well i mean i'm glad that you have somebody that's willing to step in and do those things because they're funny as hell whenever they happen yeah i didn't when we started i didn't know we were gonna go jackass stunts with it but that's that's alex's style so we went with it (laughs) now i'm like sitting around trying to come up with different ways to do the slip and slide and and just take it take it up a notch. <laughs> so how how often do you uh, anticipate doing stunts like that in the future? Where it's like, okay, we're going to have Alex do this thing, and then if you donate X amount more, he'll do this even crazier thing. I, I really think that that might be a whole show. We might be doing something where that, that there's always going to be a stunt in the attack, or at least once a week there will be a big stunt. But I also see that that could be a, its own show you know, um, some sort of torture gaming show. Oh, it totally could. <laughs> I'm getting excited just thinking about this now. Just, but with playing games, so... Just, like, pl- player versus pain, but Alex and live? Yes, exactly, pretty much. And, and also done right, with, with stunts that are actually painful and, and, uh, and that read-through camera. Yeah, pretty much player versus pain done right with Alex would be a blast. That would be so great. I'm really excited for this now, and you have to make it happen. Yeah, I know. It's gonna, we've been talking about it for a while, so it's just a matter of time. Um, but, you know, our focus right now is obviously the attack, and doing at least one stun a week is, is always is a, a good goal to have. We, thanks to Patreon, we've been, we've been getting some new gear lately, um, replacing some broken gear, and, um, you know, hopefully just, just literally delivering a big, bigger and better show every week, every day. As far as the Patreon goes, like, you guys are getting, like, $3,500 a month or something right now from that, which is crazy to me. Is that is that more or less than you anticipated? Did you, like, did you have expectations when you started doing it, or were you just, like, anything's gonna help, what, whatever we get? Uh, to be honest with you, we were looking at kind of funny, kind of funny games and kind of funny videos, 
um, Colin and Greg, they do a really successful Patreon. They're making like twenty four grand, I think, on a month on one of their channels on just the podcast. Yeah, and then they have another sixteen grand on their other channel. So I think that they're they're doing it really well. <laughs> and <laughs> not that we came into Patreon thinking that we would be at their level, um, but they are definitely role models in that in that in that respect. So we are gunning for that we're still trying to get to their level as far as Mm -hmm. um making enough a month for us to cover you know to pay our interns would be amazing to 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 move them up from interns to to real production positions would be amazing so we can get them on salary Mm -hmm. um right now we have a lot of people working for free and that's not fun you know we we we're not we never want to be in that kind of uh situation so over the next couple months we're hopefully they're going to be ramping it up on patreon or or um you know fingers crossed going to be partnering with with somebody whether it be an investor or a brand that can help us cover the more than just the you know the 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 initial operation costs but then go be able to go further than that and bring you guys like a bigger show cuz right now we are working off of a very very slim budget every week and although mm-hmm. 3500 a, a month sounds decent it's actually you know it it goes fast <laughs> very fast when you're looking at rent and uh, internet uh, some of the gear every month that we have to ramp up on and, and obviously the internal folk, uh, Alex, Carlos, it's tough. I don't want this to come off the wrong way because I don't mean this in any sort of negative way whatsoever, but it definitely does show that you're working on a small budget. That's not a bad thing. If anything, it's a good thing because like I'm impressed as hell with what you're able to accomplish with what you're working with. If you guys had a larger budget, if you guys had three or four times the budget you have right now, I know that it would be so on point. Because from watching what you're doing right now, it's it's pretty obvious that the ability to create the content's there, and that's not what's limiting you. I'm really excited to see what happens here in a year or two when you guys have more funding, because I think I think it's only going to get better and better from here. Same. That's what we're, we're working towards, and that's what we're you know, preparing for, and hopefully it's a matter of months, actually, not, not years, and, uh, absolutely, I, I, we know that it looks a certain way, and we know that it can look much better, that's one, we know that we can write, we can have time and, and bandwidth to write more, uh, of the content that we know that you guys love, whether they be reviews, uh, tech gaming reviews, or comedy sketches, um, so a lot of it is bandwidth time, and resources and all of those things are pretty much curable with money (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like just having enough money to uh give give your interns and make them production people so that they're not having to go out and work side jobs to make a living would free up so much of their time that that would just that alone would drastically improve your content yeah absolutely so i mean it's I really feel like it's just a matter of time until that that kind of thing happens for you guys because whenever I get on and I look and you you kind of max out at like what twenty five hundred viewers at a time, is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, we uh, about eighteen hundred. You said max or average? Max, yeah. Max would be twenty five. Yeah, I think we hit three thousand on some sort of amazing double rainbow day. But uh, where where I'm going with that is that is by no means 
anywhere close to the amount of people that were watching Attack of the Show. And that was such a hardcore, diehard fan base that I feel like a lot of those people just aren't watching because they don't know that it's happening yet. And I feel like when that happens and when those floodgates open, you guys are going to be doing so much better than you are right now. Thank you. I hope so, too. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of obstacles we're going through right now. And as soon as we get through the the sort of the the financial struggles, I think that's when the floodgates open, like you said, and, and you know, we could become a lot more creative that way. Well, I am really looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. I think we're going to end it right about here. So if you want to tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on, Kier. This has been awesome. Uh, everybody, thank you for your support. If you're watching The Attack, we absolutely cherish every single eyeball on our screen. We are twitch.tv slash The Attack. Find us on Twitter. We are super creative, at super creative, just spelled normally. Uh, I'm at Fatucci, and this has been fun. Thank you, Kier. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you. I'm glad you agreed to do it. Of course, anytime. Let us know what you need from us. Alright, that was my interview with Yanif Fatucci, and I'm just blown away listening back to that, how sharp that guy is, and just what a great talker and conversationalist he is. That was one of the more interesting conversations I think I've ever had. Having conversations like that and making a genuine connection with another human being, that's the reason that I started this podcast in the first place, and I'm so glad that I get to share those fascinating moments with you guys. This uh, outro is going to be a little brief because my voice is still pretty ragged from being sick yesterday. So I'm just going to end it here. But tune back next week, guys. We'll have a new guest and a new episode. See you later.